0: Not a monster coaster with your brain! It's so hot. Hi folks, Chris Voss here, your host. Your host of the Chris Voss Show. Do I actually have to say that because it is the Chris Voss Show, but I still have to say I'm the host? That makes no sense or it makes all the sense. I don't know which it is, but be sure to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Also, go to iTunes and give the show a great referral. Give it that five-star love. We certainly appreciate you doing that. Tell people how much you love the show. Because that's what makes my day. That's what makes new shows. Otherwise, the new shows don't get made because I just swallow in a pool of self-pity. I don't believe anyone loves me. (laughs) Or as we like to call around here, Wednesdays. I don't know what that means. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it. We've got an amazing author on the show, as always. But in the meantime, go to YouTube.com forward Chris Voss, so go to Goodreads.com, forward S Chris Voss. our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the crazy places those kids are playing these days. And check us out, including Chris ChrisVossLeadershipInstitute.com. You can see some of our courses and leadership training that we have there as well, my speaking, et cetera. Today, we have Chris K. Jones, a new author on the show. He's the author of the newest book, Headcase, Book 1, Shock and Denial, that came out March 10th, twenty. 22 We're going to be talking to him about his amazing book. He is a recovering serial entrepreneur who quit at the peak of his career to honor the promise he made to himself at 19 that he would become a writer. He splits his time between Tarrytown, New York, and Barbados, where he finds time to swim with turtles and observe cloud animals. Although he doesn't have any children, his inner 8-year-old keeps him on his toes. He's an extrovert who's decided to work in the world's loneliest profession, writing books. Yes, I can tell you that from my experience. (laughs) Writing his first novel, Headcase, has been the best form of therapy he's ever had. Well, that's good for him because mine broke me. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you?
1: I'm great, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: I think it was the editing and the, it was the editing mostly that broke me, but I did, (laughs) I wrote it in three months. So a bit of Uh, a head spin. So welcome to the show. Congratulations on the new book. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs.
1: Sure. You can go to chriskjones.com. And if you sign up for the mailing list, you can get the first seven chapters free of Headcase. So I figure if you like it, then go buy it. You can also reach me on Instagram at headcase underscore novel, as well on Facebook, Chris K. Jones, author, and on Twitter, headcase underscore novel.
0: There you go. So what motivated you want to write your first book?
1: Well, I always wanted to be a writer. So when even as a small boy, I had all these real vivid imagination and all these things in my head, and I, I can't draw. So I couldn't get them out. So I learned to write them down, and then I had encouragement from my my high school uh, creative writing teacher, who I dedicated my book to, Mm Mister Paul Putanic, and then even in college. So, but you know, I'm right brain and left brain, and I love business, and and I had the choice between accounting or English, and I kind of went with the more practical side and. And studied accounting. And even when I was in college, my sophomore professor said to me when I was 19, said, Chris, you're really talented. You should switch from accounting to English and pursue your writing. And I said, look, I grew up poor. Don't want to be a poor, starving artist. I'll go make some money and then I'll write.
0: Come on, poor starving artist. It's great. Everyone does it. It's the thing. No, not really. Not it's the latest thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably that it might be a better it might be a f- better field of avenue to, you know, get the money first then go chase your dreams cuz chasing dreams sometimes it requires money, I suppose. So, give us an overview of the book. What's the book about? It's a novel, from my understanding.
1: Yep. It's a novel. It's the first in a series, and it's called Headcase. The first book is Shock and Denial, and it follows a week in the life of Dr. Andrew Beck, who's the go-to sports psychologist for troubled pro athletes. And there isn't a head he can't fix, except his own. (laughs) And and when his own inner demons get the best of him, he misuses his insider access to athletes in a wager, which leads him down this dark path of blackmail, mysterious murder, and life-or-death bluffing. And his only way out is to go all in. So, I mean, the theme, yeah, <laughs> the theme of it is really if you don't discover your demons, they'll destroy you. And it ah. doesn't matter if you're rich and famous or pro athlete. If you don't solve for your traumatic issues, mm-hmm. they're going to bring you to your knees.
0: Mm. Trauma. The yeah. favorite subject of human beings everywhere, whether they realize it or not. So that's interesting. So Dr. Andrew Beck, he's a go-to sports psychologist for trouble pro athletes. Well, what was the reason you chose the title head case?
1: Head case is actually a, a derogatory term for an mm. athlete who is having trouble either on the field or off the field on the field with maybe the yips or off the field with just issues he's having in his personal life. He or she. And I just thought it was interesting. Like my, I've always thought about, I was a competitive athlete. I was a wrestler in college and judo after college. And I always was very interested in, in what happened. And I always was a big sports fan growing up, growing up in New Jersey and right in the Meadowlands. I grew up in, in Rutherford, New Jersey, and, and always was very curious about what happens when pro athletes fail. What happens mm-hmm. and how do they deal with it? And I thought, well, you know, maybe they go out and they get a sports psychologist. And then my favorite question as an author is, what if? So, well, what if that sports psychologist had more issues than the people that he treats. <laughs> and Dr. Andrew Beck was born. And, and he's just, uh, you know, he's, he's very talented at treating his clients and his patients because he's the son of a master's champion. And he was a golf prodigy at five and his father wanted them to be the first father and son master's champions, but he bro- he drove him to the breaking point, And at 18, he walked away right as he was about to turn pro to go study psychology. And their relationship never healed, so it 's a lot about and family trauma, generational trauma, and you hear and there's just a whole lot about how each even the athletes and what they dealt with in their families I mean all our trauma starts with our own within our own family right because that's what we're closest to, and then just working through that, and we see that he's so able to compartmentalize his life, and it's like a doctor heal thyself and things you would think he'd be really aware of because he's a psychologist he's not because it's his own trauma and it doesn't matter all the training that we've had if we really don't work hard to understand our own trauma and get to the dark part of it and bring it to the surface you know we're really not going to have we're going to have a hard time healing and 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 I hopefully people really just enjoy the book it's entertaining it's a page turner mm-hmm. you know it it's twists and turns throughout you know and just seeing how this guy's life this goes down, goes from, you know, way up top to a life we would all love to have. And then he's really hurting in the, at the end and just seeing what happens to him. But it can happen to any one of us. But I do hope people are entertained. And if I can raise awareness towards mental health and sports, I'd really be happy with that too.
0: Oh, that's a good angle that you can contribute that way. The, did, so did you pick the psychologist and the trauma theme from your own experience of life?
1: Sure. I mean, we've all experienced trauma. I did not experience the traumas that my athletes in this did. They really had a lot of, or even Andrew, physical and mental abuse. I didn't have that. I mean, we all have our experiences of who we are and the things we struggled with. I mean, I, as a wrestler, I struggled from eating disorders and I was battling the scale and not my opponent, which was great when I went to judo. And it was actually my, I'm Buddhist and my Buddhist teacher was one that suggested I take judo and mm-hmm. I like being able to do things over again. You know, everything in life is reincarnation, I believe. And so I got to do judo again. I played it my healthy way. I had a healthy approach to it and I won. So it's really like everything in looking at at how we approach the sport. I mean, I didn't, I was very competitive. I hated it when I lost. Of course, you know, you sit there and you just think about what happened, go through every move, every second, watch the video a thousand times. And try to correct yourself. So, but it was still that those points of looking at you know what I went through, even as as you know a competitive athlete, but not you know I wasn't on the Olympic team. But then Mm -hmm. I did speak with Olympians. I did do a lot of research, and and you know most a lot of pro athletes, their childhoods were horrific, Mm -hmm. and I think it's just they don't get a lot of compassion. I mean, right now at least, it's really great that we're starting to hear more about it. And and that athletes are able to come forward, and people like Michael Phelps with his documentary Weight of Gold, yeah. and yeah, it, it it's okay to say you're not okay.
0: Definitely, I mean that's I think that's the hardest part is finding out is admitting you have trauma, and finding out you're not alone. So I think that's very helpful to a lot of people. So this is kind of interesting. You know, I, I've always kind of had a little bit of a snicker about psychologists because, you know, I I dated some psychologists when I was younger and that they're the one group that I will never date ever again. They were usually people in college getting their psychology degree and usually they were getting their degree because they were trying to fix for free basically what was going to take decades to fix. And, And they have a high suicide rate in their thing. I think they're number two next to the dentist or something. And so they have a high suicide rate. And I'm like, wait, the psychologists who help people with their mental health so they don't commit suicide or have the second highest suicide rate? Well, that's like nonsensical, but maybe in a way it is. So I think it's kind of interesting that that your book deals with, you know, a psychiatrist who fixes everyone else's problems but his own. Uh, right. Maybe Maybe in a lot of ways there's some sort of analogy of that to human beings and what they do.
1: Yeah, I've spoken to quite a few mental health professionals and even, you know, I've dealt with uh, that even in in my own family and dealing with with, just everybody's issues. But a lot of times the key to the people who've gotten through very healthy, like dealing with like as well as people deal with children is they Mm. need sort of a process to sort of come home and decompress and kind of unload their day if mm-hmm. i think the suicides happen uh, when it's they're bringing that all that they're, they're hearing people's issues and sometimes really just horrific things and they're bringing that home with them but they need an opportunity to uh, and sort of their own little process for derolling mm-hmm. or saying okay now i'm not if it's me say i'm not you know, Chris Jones, the psychologist, I'm not, but walking home like, okay, I have to be Chris Jones, the father, the husband, the partner, mm. the friend, and yeah. change your role and really change. There aren't too many professions where you really just need to de-roll, but mm. anything that's really high stress, you know, police, firemen, uh, yes, yeah, surgeons, I'm pretty sure you, you kind of, it's very healthy if you can do a de-rolling and just go back to being who you are as a as a human being.
0: Yeah, some people come home and then they got to hear about other people's problems. But you get all that when you get shot at, when you get home. So, did you base the characters on anybody else you knew in your immediate family? Any movie stars? Any. What, what yeah. were some of the characters that you brought to life in the story no, that it, you, it, you base it on? That was really the, the best part.
1: And. I didn't use real teams. I made up my own leagues, I made mm-hmm. up my own teams and it was really fun just to put together the athletes profile. I had a lot of fun doing that, even designing their uniforms and things like that. It was a lot of fun. On my website, you can go and see the the pictures of the athletes and kind of what I did. But it was it was really an amalgamation of everything. I also worked with a pro team and in the locker rooms when i was young and i used to spend time talking to the athletes i didn't you know i just wanted to know about what their life was outside of football my older brother he worked for the giants my my dad did work with a lot of pro athletes doing personal things so i spent time talking to pro athletes when i was very young but it was really just an amalgamation it wasn't one person they don't there's no character in the book that resembles anyone it was interesting one of the characters you know andrew beck's brother's name is brandon and my brother is brendan and i had to call him I'm like like i said brendan this has nothing to do with you i just like the names <laughs> don't don't read into it it has the you know because their relationship isn't very good and and brendan's and mine is but i was like don't read into this at all it has nothing to do with you so yeah you do people do ask that and it's they're really it's just they're all figments of my imagination and just a ton of research and and experience just being around athletes my whole life
0: interesting how did how did you read the book like what what did you what's the word I'm looking for would how did you have had a complete brain fart and shut down the when you were writing how, how long did it take you to write the book that's what I'm looking for <laughs> well I'm
1: glad you asked that okay so spending my career as a CFO I, like I said, I have this really strong left brain as well as the right brain and leaving. I left my, I sold my last business on, in June, 2019. And I really, and I spent like during the transition, but my last day at my company that I co-founded was January 31st, 2020. Mm -hmm. So I had February to kind of figure out what my new life was going to be as a writer. And then we went into pandemic. So then yeah. I was like, you know, it was great for me because I got to just have all this time to focus on writing. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Barbados and and wrote the novel down there. And that that image in the back isn't some random shot. That's actually my backyard in my house in Barbados. And oh. it was a great place to write. It was also motivating, realizing i getting up each day and saying, Look, I'm, I know I'm living an author's dream. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so get to work because most authors would give their right arm to be able to write from a beach in a beautiful place. So that was it. But because I have this other side, this logic side, the CFO that's constantly asking, what's the ROI? What are we doing? How are we doing it? And I needed that time for the creative person to come out. I kept the timesheet because now I gave him a metric. So mm-hmm. I know exactly how long it took, 714 and a half hours. That's wow. So, wow. So I know to the half hour, I know exactly how long it took.
0: That's pretty freaking awesome, dude. That is pretty <laughs> freaking awesome. What else do we need to talk about the book? Do you have any teasers you want to put out for uh, scenarios or, or things that you think are really yeah, interesting?
1: Yeah, sure. Like even though it, it deals with a lot of like you would think masculine topics. I wrote it in a way that was very sensory and more about emotion. I have a lot of international friends, you know, living in Barbados. I went to college in Northern England, in Newcastle. I have a lot of people in Europe. So I wrote it in a way that if you didn't know anything about sports or psychology, therapy, you'd still be able to really enjoy it. I made it so you can, you're experiencing what the players are feeling Rather mm-hmm. than so much the technicalities of what's going on in the game, which would bore people who aren't sports fans, he's also got you know these gambling issues, so there's card playing. and so yeah, I think it 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 is something And my female readers, it would have been really great. I got great feedback from them. Mm-hmm. one of them said to me, it was such a great insight into the male psyche oh. wrote, you know I'm writing it I'm a male, right? So I'm writing like that, but you you are really following like a shadow in a in the narrative of, of going through whatever Andrew was going through. It stays just in his, what we call the close third-person narrative. We're just in Andrew's head. But you're feeling what he's feeling. You're seeing what he's feeling, smelling what he's smelling. And I mm-hmm. purposely wrote it so it was very sensory. So people who, some people are visual. Some people are auditory. Some people are kinesthetic. I wrote it to different modalities on purpose so people would feel connected to the story and I think, you know, my female readers have enjoyed it just as much. And most, and even my male friends who aren't sports people, they mm-hmm. all said they enjoyed it because they could follow the story. Because it's really about relationships. It's about emotions. It's about dealing with our own issues and how we can get tripped up, even when you got a PhD and you can still get tripped up. So we're all human.
0: Yeah. And everyone thinks, you know, you get successful. You think you're, you've got it all. And, you know, and sometimes we see people that seem to have it all in this world and yet they, they don't, you know, sometimes you can have that outward expression of, of having everything and then inward, you're a freaking mess. And, you know, I, I went through my life where I started my first companies early on and became successful and I thought that money would heal all wounds and I would be able to, you know, I'd be, it would perfect me in some sort of sense. Really all it did was amplify all my traumas and problems and issues. And it, it just made it worse. And so uh, a lot of people don't realize that's kind of the course that a lot of people take. So it's interesting that he goes on that course. He becomes successful. He gets, you know, all the stuff: the Central Park, the sports car, the country clubs, the Greenwich Mansion, and and seems to have the perfect life. And and yet it's a mess. You you tease that there was murder, murder. You say in the <laughs> book. Do you want to tease a little bit more on that one? I, I know people love well, intrigue.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, he gets mixed up with uh, this where he goes to gamble because he's got this mm-hmm. gambling addiction. It, when he left pro sport, well, he left competitive sports. I mean, doing this since he's five years old and his father, you know, just push, push, push. When he left it, it was a big fu you to his father to say, I'm going to make my own path, but he still did not have an outlet for that competitive nature. So I firmly believe when we have these things, if we don't solve for them, they're going to go sideways on us. So yes, he was studying psychology, became a psychologist, working with athletes, but he still needed that competition. So it came out through gambling because in gambling, he can take the, he gets that rush, that rush of, for him, it's less about the money and more about, can I just own this person? Can Mm -hmm. I listen to their mind? Can I read them? Can I read all their tells? Because now it's legal, right? Mm -hmm. He wouldn't. But he can sit there and read all their tells, use all the things he's learned in psychology and all the things his father taught him about messing with people's heads on the golf course (laughs) and just getting in there. Yeah, his dad was a fan favorite, but the other golfers hated him. Mm -hmm. And in learning all this, and even though as much as he really despised what happened with him in his youth. This comes out and he gets caught gambling, you know, in this place. And he's down with it. He, and it takes place on Mercer Street. There's the place called the Five Iron that I sort of created. There's an there's an elevator on Mercer Street with a camera. And while I was doing my research on Google Maps, because, right, we we're all in quarantine. I saw of like, oh, that's it. That's the spot. So uh, I do have some videos that I'll be posting in, in the next few weeks about. I did a whole talk about, you know, why I came up with it. So, yeah, he gets mixed up with this underground kind of gangster that has this gambling hall and he makes this bet that he shouldn't have used because he understands who the athletes are. And it just all goes sideways after that.
0: All goes sideways. And now you meant in the title, it says book one. Is this meant to be a series?
1: Yep. I'm already working on book two. I don't really have a title for it yet. I did all the outlining working on book two and hopefully we'll release that probably early next year. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. And it's been, it's an enjoyable ride. You know, you said something about, you know, the, I had a very similar path to you in that I started my first company at 23, doing mm. accounting and consulting in the Princeton area for entrepreneurs. I got heavily involved in tech. I got involved with a text-to-speech company in 99, 2000, raised money. I raised $2 million for them and then sold their software to Microsoft. Did really well. I thought, oh Mm -hmm. my God, this is great. I finally made it. Years of poverty and, you know, just scraping by and and ramen noodles and, you know, just getting by. And I thought, okay, this is great. I finally made it. So then I took that money, put it into a a mobile gaming. And this is 2000, 2001. So we were way in front and we had, and August 31st, I raised money just to get us through the next month. And that's 2001. August 31st, Mm -hmm. 2001. We had, Contracts ready to be signed with Vodafone and Verizon, AT&T, AOL Sports and Fox Sports and AOL Mobile. And then 11 days later, the universe changed. And we didn't get calls back until November. Nobody even called us. And we ran out of money. And we had to shut down because every project got canceled. And I lost everything I had. I was deep in debt, living an expensive lifestyle in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And it really beat me up. It really, yeah. really beat me up bad. So if you think like it's, I think it's it's really tough to not have money, make money and then lose it all. Mm-hmm. And it really beat up my, my own self-esteem, my confidence until one day I was on the phone with one of my buddies and, you know, and I was, you know, wham, wah, 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 wah. Woe is me. And he said, don't worry about it, Chris, you're a survivor. I said, what? He goes, you're a survivor. I said, you know what? You're right. I am. God damn it. Yeah. I'll get through this. I made a goal, get a new... I started my consulting company again and said, 90 days, I'll get a client. And I got one in 89. Nice. And and then that helped me build. And then I sold that and got on to the next company, Durani Rentals, which I built with my two partners over 10 years and then sold that. So, you know, it's like rags to riches to rags to riches story. And it's tough. And like you said, like you think you've made it. And even then, I think it's really important to have a what's next. Mm. So, so many people, when they succeed... Either they think, oh, I'll just play golf for the rest of my life. No, you need to have a what's next. And I think one of the things that's really kept me very healthy about this is that I wanted to write, So I knew what I wanted to do next. And I really advise people, you know, when they're coming to that point where they've achieved some success, they want to sell their company. Think about what you want to do. Think about mm-hmm. how you want to, what's going to be your life's mission? What's going to be your purpose? How are you going to go out? How are you going to give back? You know, I think mm-hmm. philanthropy is really, really important. You know, how can you raise awareness? For me, it's telling stories and, and raising awareness to generational trauma and mental health and sports.
0: You know, telling stories, whether they're a novel or a business book uh, or, or any other kind of book, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a manual for life the uh, you you end up learning from other people learning stories you know we don't have a manual for life at least i didn't get one mine got lost in the mail evidently you you know you you learn we learn from stories that's why we watch movies that's why i watch tv which always makes me nascent about those people who watch csi i'm not sure what they're learning but you know it's it's interesting to me and so you know what you've said resonates a lot. yeah when people go through cathartic moments where they lose everything and then and then come back and and sometimes you gamble, and sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's all a part of life. And and a lot of times in those cathartic moments, you realize that it, you know, it wasn't it was the money, it wasn't the success, it wasn't the property, it wasn't all the things you own that that end up owning you. Mm-hmm. It was always you the whole time who generated all that. And that's the real beauty of those cathartic mm-hmm. moments. To follow up to the previous question, so is the is the further books going to have the same characters in it, or are you going to? Yep.
1: Yeah, a lot of the same characters are in it. We'll follow, keep following the athletes. I added a couple of new ones and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, it gets a little Shakespearean. Huh. <laughs> ah,
0: it's always, <laughs> it's, he always it's, had it's, the it's, plot yeah, lines,
1: so. You know, if you add a character, you gotta get rid of the character because you can only keep so many people in, in line. Otherwise, it becomes Lord of the Rings. You know, ah, so. it's kind of
0: fun to kill off a few people <laughs> here and now and then. Is Dr. Andrew Beck gonna be a continuing feature or? Yeah.
1: Definitely. So he's, he'll be through it. He's got a long journey to go through. You know, he's mm. still got to get to the point, you know, um, already where he's just starting to see that he has a problem.
0: Oh, and that's so that's the-
1: step one, right? Mm-hmm. When you first recognize that we have a problem and you can admit that to yourself, you know, that's just the beginning of that journey. So ah. yeah, he's got a long journey to go and a lot of, A lot of things are going to happen and, you know, he's going to learn that he can't, as smart as he is, even though he's the smartest guy in the room, he's not always so self-smart, you know, his self-awareness.
0: That's very true. Someone's commenting, made it is truly about what's in your head. Yeah. Some people assume that they made it and there really never is no made it. In fact, if anything, the the more successful you get, the higher that tightrope goes, you know, the more you can look down and go, there's a long way down. Like, you know, no one gets paid this amount of money and you can just quit and go to McDonald's and get paid the same.
1: I think if you start changing your, your metrics to how many people you can help versus, Mm -hmm. you know, how many zeros in your bank account and hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully to the left side of the (laughs) desk. So I've been in that side too, but yeah, it's really, I think start thinking about how can I, how can I help? How can I influence how, what's the best way? I mean, Having a podcast where you go out and you're helping and in, in teaching individuals and bringing on people who can hopefully inform and entertain. And that's mm-hmm. what I like to do. I want to entertain first and foremost. I want you to be entertained. I want you to pick up the book at the end of your day and, and lose yourself in the world that I built and give yourself you know, 20 minutes of break from from your difficult day. And if you can pick something up, if something motivates you, inspires you, well, that's just bonus. You know, that, mm-hmm. that to me is, is something, I mean, you said it, like how many times did we watch a movie that kind of changed our perspective on life? Mm-hmm. Right. And I do think through storytelling, rather than writing a nonfiction book, I thought it would be more fun. It was more fun for me. Honestly, I'll be honest. It was more fun for me to make up and play with all these characters and have them in my head and, and, and mess around with them. Uh, but I think it, you can, through storytelling, kind of, it's almost a better way to tell nonfiction is the yeah. right?
0: Yeah. I had a, I was, I was struggling. I think there was one point in editing and one point where I was writing like 12 hours a day yeah. and re-editing and re-editing at that point. And uh, I was losing my mind and I reached the point where I was ready to throw it all out the window. And uh, I call up my, a lot of my friends who we're authors and they go, yeah, if you're at that point, you're at the good part because you're almost (laughs) through it. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep going. going. And I was like, are you freaking out of your freaking mind? I I'm so done. And I was frying myself up. I was pushing it way too hard. I mean, I banged it in what, three months. And you know, a lot of it, You know, a lot of it was easy initially because it was stories that I'd been using as a griot of my business lessons for, you know, 54 years or 20, 30 years, however long it was. And so, you know, it was a lot of putting those stories to paper, but then the editing and and the rewriting and the structuring and, and how we wanted to do things and, you know, do this, do that. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty whipping, but you know, somebody, one of the, one of my authors, I think on the show, came on the show, she said to me, she told a story about how she one time met this gal at a book signing and she said that her books helped her while she was in prison. And she told the story about how all the prison uh, the women in uh, the, the women in the women's prison were reading her books and using them to help set a course for a better life when they got out of prison and improving you know their kind of mindset. And so she keeps a picture of that person that they sent them in the orange jumpsuit at a writing desk and she realizes that she's not writing for herself anymore. she's writing for someone else. Mm. And that really helped me. And then another author friend of mine, somewhere in the editing process, she wrote me and she says, there's somebody out here who needs this book. And if you don't finish writing it, you're not going to be able to help them. And they're going to read this book at the right time and need it at the moment that they need it most. And your job is to get that book out so that they, so they get that book in their hands. And that gave me a mission, a mission from. Not from God, but you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> well, from a... from yeah, from who you are as a person, and I think that's really important. We all have yeah. a story to tell, and I think the more we can go out and and, and help in a way, if that's what we can do, and and we want to tell our stories, and hopefully they have positive influence on people, and then you, yeah, then that's good work. That's mm-hmm. that's good work. It's it was enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I think the the version you you, you kind of hit that point about you get where you're at. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so done. My version that finally got published was version (laughs) (laughs) 8.6. So If it it got a whole number, like my, you know, this is my accountant in me, right? So if it got a whole number, that means the change was so big that it, that it changed something really important in a plot point. And then if it was like a point, something that just meant there were other minor changes that needed to be made. But so yeah, eight versions.
0: It's wow. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, the editing, the editing is, I, I mean, the editing is good. It's important, but uh, man, it gets frustrated, but we had a tight timeline on mine. If I, this next book that we're working on now, we're taking our time with probably taking a little too much time. I've been screwing around a little of but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things, but I'm glad you wrote a book that people can learn from that they can, okay. you know, there's a story there where they can learn some lessons about life and some of that is interweave with your own experience and it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Do you have any numbers of books that you want to run this through or are you just going to take it book by book? This
1: series, yeah, this series will be about three to five books depending, you know, honestly, I let my characters kind of talk to me and they kind of tell me what they want to do. It's pretty interesting experience. And so they'll tell me where this needs to go and when it will end. And then I have a list of other books that I want to write and, some historical fiction, some other, I wrote a, I wrote a play years ago while I was going through learning writing and everything. I wrote a play about two Marines and their PTSD. Oh, wow. and that's some, yeah. That's something called twisted metal. And that's something I want to then turn into a novel. And I have a couple of other stories of things that I've written over the years. I always you know, really started to just keep, so I got tons of halfway things, outlines and, and stories. So there's a lot to do. I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now it's just, like to get the word out about this and I yeah. hope people in, in really enjoy it. And then uh some, a couple of people have asked like, when is the next one going to be ready? They read it and they're like, are you done with the next one? I'm like, no, <laughs> so the pressure's on now you do, you do it well once. And, and it did win an award from literary Titans, a gold medal. And awesome. it's won, yeah, it's won an award. It's gotten some, uh, five-star reviews. And it's been really nice. People have been very gracious with their words and and, and I've enjoyed, I just want people to enjoy it. I really do. And kind of, if you can pick something out of it, that'd be great. But first I want you to be entertained. You know, yeah. The
0: main thing. There you go. PTSD. That w- might be an interesting book. We just had Jason Kander on the show. With his book Invisible Storms. Great guy, president. He ran for president and he has a great political podcast. Great guy. And, and PTSD, I think is, you know, something that's underrated and a lot of people don't realize they have it or, you know, that's another thing of, you know, trauma that we're not wanting to admit that you have it. Anything more you want to tease on the book before we go? I think it's
1: just that, you know, if you're looking for a good summer read, something you can get through quick. I think it's, it's, it's a great pickup for you. Again, you can go down, and, and if you're not sure, go out to my website. Just subscribe to the mailing list. You can get the first seven chapters for free.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you're not hooked after seven chapters, don't buy the book. <laughs> but if you are, go buy it and, and read the rest of it. So There you go. Yeah, that's, that's it.
0: There you go. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on the show, Chris. Thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I've really been enjoying listening to your podcast. And you. so I've been, I'm glad we've been introduced and I look forward to hearing more. So thank you very yeah. much
0: for having me. We've got some really exciting guests coming out. We always have exciting guests. So the, the book companies send us the, just the most wonderful people and just brilliant CEOs. There'll be more leadership discussions we'll be having on where my next book is interviewing a lot of CEOs on, on leadership and how it works and stuff, you kind know, around my first books. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. And, and yeah. Lots of, lots of discussions and, and it'll be interesting to see how the world changes with COVID and everything we're doing. Yeah. Give us your dot .coms again, one more time. so Sure. Can it's up on the
1: www.chriskjones.com. And on the site, you can either order from Amazon or you can again, download the first seven chapters free. You can find the book on Amazon ebook on Apple books. And if you want to reach out to me through Instagram, it's headcase underscore novel, Facebook, Chris K. Jones, author. And Twitter, too, also headcase underscore. There you go.
0: There you go. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, my honest, for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com, chess, Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button, Goodreads.com, chess, Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Also, our big LinkedIn group, and the LinkedIn newsletter. Subscribe to that thing as well. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.
1: And that's should. Your-